You're listening to the Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Get ready to be inspired as we explore provocative topics surrounding innovative technologies and ideas with top industry professionals, digital entrepreneurs, and provocateurs. At Impetus Digital, we believe that everything starts with a conversation. We aspire to act as the bridge to not only ignite these courageous conversations, but to also sustain them over time. We do this through our Insight platform, which features our award-winning Insight events and Insight Touchpoint solutions, and through these fireside chats. In the end, our hope is to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Natalie Eden. CEO and co-founder of Impetus Digital, an all-in-one, fully-serviced virtual collaboration and communication solution for online meetings, events, conferences, and advisory boards for life science companies. Hi, everybody. My name is Natalie Yeadon. I'm the CEO and co-founder with Impetus Digital. At Impetus Digital, we built some of the best-in-class asynchronous and synchronous virtual collaboration and communication tools. We have helped life science companies from across the globe over the past 13 years, help them do everything from creating virtual advisory boards with payers, patients, allied healthcare providers, physicians, doing virtual medical education, investigator meetings, helping them to pivot during COVID-19 with the new protocols for wearables and all kinds of policies and procedures in market access. And since the Insight Events platform launch, we've been helping companies with big sales meetings, corporate events and hackathons and everything in between. But more importantly, we really believe at Impetus that everything starts with a conversation. And from these big, hairy, audacious conversations with some of the leading edge thinkers, the provocateurs, the leading edge entrepreneurs, we can all work to positively and and collectively disrupt healthcare. And it doesn't just end in a conversation. We need to sustain them. And this is precisely the reason we have these touch points that we do at Impetus so we continue to maintain and build on the momentum of these important important conversations. So I'm really pleased to having one of these thought leaders at the table with me today. This is David Barthel. He's actually an experienced executive leader in the healthcare and medical device space. He's uh, coordinated multiple capital fundraising efforts, driven double-digit revenue growth, and has established commercial viability across multiple disciplines. Currently, David is the CEO of a company called Health Logic Interactive. This is where he's helping to develop a point-of-care technology that improves the assessment and diagnosis of chronic kidney disease. Working alongside his team, David's goal is to empower people with their patented lab-on-a-chip digital device. It's going to be used to securely and secure early CKD detection, and which is also going to lead to earlier therapies and potentially more effective patient management. Previously, David was the president and CEO of his own startup medical device company called the Smart Pill Corporation. This was actually sold to Medtronic in 2014. Welcome, David. Thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you, Natalie. Thrilled to be here. Awesome. I am really excited again because you are one of the pro- one of the entrepreneurs that has was able to successfully build a digital company in healthcare before it became really popular to do so. 
and uh, was able to sell it to somebody else and start something again. Tell us a little bit about the trajectory. Did you always know that you were interested in healthcare? How did you land in the place that you are today? Well, you're, you're exactly right. I was. I was interested in, in technology initially. So the first company that I led was in uh, actually water chemistry instrumentation in, in New Jersey, believe it or not. Uh, but it wasn't med device. It wasn't healthcare. But then um, discovered that there was a tremendous need for leadership and the ability to develop technologies and commercialize and take them through uh, the processes that are involved specifically with the FDA and then out to the marketplace. So uh, then then focused on, on on healthcare where there was a, a large market opportunity and a, and, and, and a large need. Fantastic. You started a really interesting company, the Smart Pill Corporation. Mm-hmm. Pharmaceutical companies have always has historically been looking for new modes of administration, new ways to, for example, to extend the patent expiry on their drug to come up with a new mechanism. But a smart pill was kind of ahead of its time. How did you end up developing the idea? Tell us a little bit about the, the, uh, the promise of the company and what you actually were able to create. Yeah, Smart Pill um, originated in, in Buffalo, New York, which is a great area. Uh, they develop a, a very enticing medical campus there. And uh, it was uh, an idea, actually a patent idea from a pharmacologist who initially wanted to do drug delivery with a capsule, which today remains a, a very big challenge. And one of the challenges is trying to decide whether it's a medical device or, or a drug. We decided early on that we wanted to take the path of a medical device and um, decided to, to add uh, some sensor technology to the device. And it was a ground zero startup. I mean, it was, it was basically myself. And then I was able to add some, some very talented people around me, uh, really focused on, on the design and the engineering portion before getting into you know, sales and marketing and, and getting the product commercialized. But uh, we wanted to, to develop a smart pill that took diagnostic measurements throughout the GI tract. Uh, which today is still the only capsule that allows you to do that through the entire GI tract. So it was very innovative, um, very creative. Um, and from the digital standpoint, you're right, there was no discussion about AI or digital, digital, digital content or digital healthcare. But what we were able to do was we were able to collect data remotely and then transfer that data uh, so that a, a physician, in this case, a GI, was able to interpret the data. Entrepreneurs would find it really intriguing for somebody like yourself coming in at the time of an idea inception. So basic building blocks and then taking that basic building block and creating an entire operations around it. That takes a real specific skill set. What would you say you really brought to the table to enable you to take this very rudimentary idea and, and blossom it in such a way where some a company as large as Medtronic saw the actual value in it. So tell us a little bit about how that process worked. A lot of perseverance, number one. So you've got to, you've got, you got to persevere. This was high risk, high reward uh, because you had to raise capital. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges when you do an early stage or startup, especially in the medical devices, you've got to be able to raise capital, but you've got to able to hit significant milestones in order to do that. So you have to be extremely disciplined extremely focused. You've got to put a process in place and you've got to stay with that process. A lot of early stage companies, they have a tendency to get diverted. Uh, they start to go one way and then they change direction and they want to do too much. So you, you really need to stay focused and say, this is what our competencies are. This is where our talent is. And the, sec- the, 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 the next big component is, is getting the right people. It's all about the people. It's all about the product and it's all about the process, Natalie. So it's really, really the three P's if you put those things together. So 
you, you had to be extremely disciplined and lead, not just manage, but lead. And you've got to have a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. I run five miles every morning at 530, still do it every day. And, you, you know, you have to have that kind of, 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 of focus and energy level in order to do an early stage and, and certainly a startup uh, company and build it and, and build it from, from scratch. You mentioned something so incredibly important, and that is about focus. And it's so interesting because books and movies and all kinds of things are being written about. The major issue for everybody these days is distraction, because the one thing that we all have in common and have in the same value is time. And basically, our time and our awareness and our consciousness or our focus is really what people are driving for, because when we give people focus, we give them their, our data, which again is the new gold. So the idea of focus is so absolutely essential. And I think in this day and age where the big shiny tool keeps flashing on the internet every other day, it's so easy to get distracted. What kind of advice would you give to people to say, this is what, this, this is what we do and we're not gonna pivot every other day? Uh, you know, Because there's always this balance between staying the course and deciding we need to throw the towel in and we need to pivot. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's that perseverance, meaning that as you do have challenges and you certainly have challenges, um, you have to be able to overcome those challenges. And, and the focus comes in in that you know what your objective is, you know what you have to accomplish, even on a daily basis and weekly and monthly, and you have to measure it. You've got to have measurable objectives that you can see the success and be able to articulate and translate that not only to your to, to your team, to your people, but to your investor base and to whoever you're going out to raise capital for. Um, so that that focus is is so critical because as you said, even today, even more so today, there are so many distractions in the marketplace. Even now with HealthLogic, we're getting asked to do this and do that. And you have to stay on on course, you've got to stay on target and you certainly have to stay with, with within uh, on budget. So the, the, the focus and the perseverance are the two key ingredients for success, I think, today with all the distractions that surround a CEO. The other thing that it's both an advantage and a potential distraction from building the core business, and that's what you were saying is raising capital. That is a very time-consuming activity. I'm just curious about the kinds of, the, the kinds of advice you would give on that, especially today when basically everything is getting monetized. And the types of fundraising and the ability and basically how to get money, there's, there's ample ways, everything from SPACs to buying things in cryptocurrency to crowdsourcing and everything in between. You know, it, it is the good old fashioned way still the best way or what advice would you give, especially on, on that, that round of keeping focused, not spending every single minute of your day trying to raise capital and trying to balance that with operating the company? It's a delicate balancing act and raising capital is certainly different than when I did it with, with SmartPill 10, 15 years ago. Um, it's, it's different in the sense that you, obviously because of COVID, you're not able to get the face-to-face -face meetings, uh, but it's different in terms of the content and the attention span and the opportunities that whether you're a venture capitalist or whether you're a publicly traded company, which we are in terms of health logic now, it's a different type of shareholder. It's a different type of investor that's looking for different things. So you've got to be able, as I say, read the room. You've got to understand what, what their needs are and, and, and what they're looking for. And you've got to follow a process. Um, you've got to stay true to what you believe in, what you have, what your core competencies are, um, what the market need is. 
uh, you've got to have a solution and you've, you've got to be able to have a very strong value proposition, not only from a clinical standpoint, but from an economic, because as we know with healthcare, you know, very much driven now by economics. You know, we all want to enhance patient management, but you have to do it economically. And, and we're so much more global now, which is the other big change. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to serve a global population and you have global investors. So everybody has a specific need. You've got to understand your market. You've got to understand your, your, your audience when you're going out. But again, stay true, stay focused, stay with your process. Love it. It's like the three, the, there's like the three points there. It's, a, it's almost like a great Nike commercial. So uh, simple and straight to the point. You sold your company to Medtronic in 2014. They probably tried to get you to stay on. What prompted you to say, hey, I love this entrepreneurial thing. I'm going to go start another company. Was it another collaboration with a university? How did the idea come through? How did you end up starting Health Logic Interactive? So I actually stayed with, with Medtronic, and it was uh, uh, the Medtronic had acquired a company called COVID, you know, it acquired a company called Given Imaging. So it was a multiple layer, if you will. But at the end of the day, Medtronic is a terrific company, terrific leadership. And I was able to stay on as their area VP. So uh, Medtronic is, is the gold standard as far as I'm concerned when you talk about the med device. But having said that, yes, I certainly miss the entrepreneurial and the ability to, to build something and uh, wanted to, to take another, another shot at, at one more. And Health, Health Logic is a, a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. And, and as I said, it is publicly trained on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It is a Canadian technology, Natalie. Uh, that originated out of the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. So we've got that, we've got that Canadian influence. And there, there's a lot of great technology that's being developed, not only out of, uh, out of the University of Manitoba, but out of Canada, uh, per se. So excited to be part of that. But um, I, I have a good team in place. I've got a wonderful CMO, strong CFO, a great capital team and, and clinician. So I, I've, I've got a good, good team in place. But what, what excited me was the disease state chronic kidney disease, progressive disease, difficult to diagnose, difficult to treat, rapidly growing. Um, it, it's, it's underserved by new technology. And you've got a, a, a patient population that, that just doesn't get tested. So again, classic, what was the market size? What was the need? Did we have a solution? So we're in the process of, 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 of developing that solution. But again, you got to be passionate about this. And, you know, we're uh, myself and, and the entire team is very passionate about, about chronic kidney disease. And, and now working with nephrologists, you really understand the tremendous need from a patient perspective of what is needed in, in order, or, order to slow the progression of disease and provide earlier diagnosis. It's so interesting that you say that, David, because again, following the pharmaceutical market and where everybody has been flocking to in the last 10 years, it's been to oncology products. It's been to rare disease products. It's been gone away from the blockbuster to these really niche areas. But one area that specifically comes to mind is you don't hear very much, as you have just uh, you know, asserted, in kidney. Nobody thinks about it. Nobody brings it up. It's one of those hidden gems so I think it's very interesting that you started delving into an area like that. Um, tell us a little bit around the focus. You're calling it a medical device. It's specifically being used as a diagno diagnostic piece. You call it the, a lab on a chip. Maybe you can describe to us what exactly is that you're doing uh, with this product. Yeah, we're doing a couple of things that are disruptive, that are innovative, that are unique and that have never done before. So we are doing a point of care lab on a chip digital diagnostic. 
uh, we will be the first people that, that that actually will have that. And more importantly, it will be a quantitative measurement, which is which is not done today. Uh, but the lab on the chip is interesting. Again, it's proprietary. It's out of the University of Manitoba. Um, it was developed by a, a, a clinical team there. And it, it's basically a credit card that you put biomarkers on. You're able to measure biomarkers on. So the lab on a chip is we're moving the lab to the home. Okay, we're trying to eliminate that screening gap. So uh, the lab on the chip is a platform technology, which means that right now our focus is on specifically three biomarkers for chronic kidney disease, but we have the ability to look at other disease states and measure other biomarkers. Um, so it's, it's, it's getting the lab on demand. It's getting the test on demand. It's being able to provide a, a very quick, low cost, affordable, accessible test to a global population. So the lab on chip technology is very small, it's disposable. And the way that we have a design, it will, it will you know, be placed into a, a handheld um, device that takes the measurement. And then that data is collected and transported to a smartphone via an app. So either the nephrologist initially or the patient has the data at their hands. Beautiful, I really love the simplicity of it. The fact that it's a five minute test you actually tout a 99% accuracy rate. You again mentioned it's disposable. So it's not this big thing that you've got to lug mm -hmm. around or cart around on your body. And you've got some patents as well that are you've applied to this microfluid plat, uh, platform technology. Um, I think what's also interesting is that you are just coming out of a proof of concept clinical trial. Now, this is really important for a lot of people is it's one thing about kind of sort of having this diagnostic and it's consumer driven, but you don't really have any, any data to support it. Uh, it's a whole other thing to actually have done some data. So can you tell us a little bit about the clinical study? What were the parameters, the endpoints, and do you have any results yet? Yeah, it was, it was done previously. It was done um, at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. There was a patient population that we looked at. Uh, we did uh, basically a correlation or using Pearson's correlation to look at precision specifically. And we were at 0.99 out of 100%, which is very, very tight. We compared it to a lab test, which is kind of the gold standard. We're, we're doing a, a lab, lab measurements, lab tests currently to try to diagnose CKD. So it was a proof of concept. And what we're going to do now is, is that after we, we develop the, the, what we call the working prototype, we're going to go to a larger, a larger study. We'll, we'll do an initial clinical study uh, looking at a number of patients. We want a diverse population. Um, and again, if you think about chronic kidney disease, you know, 45 to 50% of those patients are diabetic. So we want to make sure that we, that we're, we are all, all inclusive when we look at that. So by the time we're done, we will have very strong clinical data. And as, as, as you said, Natalie, early on, you know, data is king right now. So um, every company, um, every software company, they want that data. They want to monetize that data. So we will have tremendous amount of data that if you look at um, you know, doing potential partnerships and you mentioned therapeutic companies in the space, you know, the, there is a tremendous need to develop effective therapies uh, to treat this progressive disease. So we think we'll be able to, 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 to aid in that um, uh, probably sometime next, next, next year. So the problem statement that HealthLogic Interactive is helping to solve is basically a non, like an undiagnosed condition. Mm -hmm. And if left long enough, these patients become progressive and their diseases get worse. And then there's all kinds of other sorts of comorbidities, which technically could cost the healthcare system X number of dollars. 
How are you profiling the cost benefit of this biomarker sort of at home diagnostic, whoever, and we'll talk a little bit more about who's going to pick up the cost for this, but versus the long-term sequelae, you know, other costs to the system, who, who has done that kind of evaluation and how was that proposed? That's a great question because, you know, and, and we, we touched upon earlier, kind of the economic value proposition. So what we're doing is, and, and again, you look at the cost, you look at the numbers and numbers don't lie. Uh, $120 billion is spent on the cost of care. So when you look at market sizes, we specifically look at the cost of burden and what's the cost of care. So it's a tremendous amount. Uh, this, this, the source of this was, was only t- 2017. It was Medicare costs. 120 billion is, is spent on this disease trying to diagnose it. So we're, we're providing a low cost, affordable, more importantly, accessible solution that provides the results at point of care, ideally in a patient's home uh, in less than five minutes. So we will reduce the cost anywhere from 60 to 70%. That cost today is obviously carried by our providers, by insurance, sometimes by, by, by the actual patient. So we're gonna try to, to knock down those, those hurdles and bring that cost down anywhere from 60 to 70%, maybe more depending upon where we end up in terms of the cost, cost, cost of the chip and the device. So David, right now, where is the product? So you've just completed the proof of concept. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that you now have to extend the clinical trials for this to become a real product. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us a little bit about who is involved with this market mapping and market planning. Who are you targeting? And is there there a clinical trial that's going on right now to to get, you know, is this a phase two? Is this a phase three? What, What are we looking at here? Yeah, great, great, great question. So again, because it's a diagnostic, there, 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 there really aren't any phases. We are doing a 510K FDA clinical trial, meaning we've got a predicate device and we've got a very strong indication for you. So we want to show equivalence to that device. Now, the problem is identifying a good gold standard in this, in this uh, with CKD, it's really a bronze standard. So we are, we're using a, a, what we consider the, the gold standard to do the equivalence test. So you do a number of patients, you demonstrate equivalency, and then you, you, you move forward with, with the FDA. So we'll probably do, you know, we could do anywhere from 100 to 150 patients, uh, do it at multiple sites, and then uh, collect in and move the data forward. Uh, but the, that where we are right now is that we are in development stage. We're developing the device, we've got the handheld device, which is the key component. We've got the lab on the chip that, that we're developing, but the third component that we're developing is the software. We've got a very mm-hmm. good partner um, in San Diego that is developing the software app. We're also doing an education portal because another big part of this, and we talk about eventually, and I will talk about digital content, digital marketing, digital sales. The big part of this is the education portal. So we're developing a dedicated website uh, for that purpose. So we are taking in every single condition. When you talk about what's the market dictating, what's the market looking for, we're trying to do all those things with this device and providing education at the same time. So again, we, we are developing, we will have a, a, a working prototype probably in October, and then we'll immediately go, go into clinical trials for early next year. So that is, that is the plan. Fantastic. And so COVID-19 has impacted the world <laughs> and yep. you're right in the middle of prototyping and, you know, endeav- endeavoring in a very important trial. So I'm just curious, has your plans for getting investigators involved, you know, on-site trial, you know, I don't know, a CRO or other people, was it, has it changed dramatically? Did you have to pivot 
Or were you always planning to do, for example, a hybrid or a decentralized trial, uh, you know, in advance of being in some ways forced to because of COVID-19? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as, as we learned from COVID-19, you had to be very adaptable and you had to change. So we've changed our model. So we've kind of got a hybrid model, if you will. And one of the things that I'm a big believer in is having strategic partners. So we have gone out and we've got about five very key strategic partners that are helping us with not only the clinical trials, but the regulatory pathway. Um, we've got a digital social media partner as well that's bringing all this together. So we've got several strategic partners in place in order to, in order to do this. And I really think with COVID-19, you have to do that. We've had no trouble getting sites, um, getting nephrologists on board who are interested in, in supporting. Um, we've even been, I've been able to get in-person meetings within the last couple of months. So we've been aggressive in, in, that, in, in that vein. One of the things that, that you'll, you'll learn with HealthLogic is that we are constantly accelerating. So uh, we have done a lot within just the last three months to really accelerate the pace of where we are. Uh, but again, we've got a lot of challenges. We've got a lot of needs going forward. Uh, but we've got a clear, clear focus plan in place that, that we are following at this point. So now that you've applied for the 510k pre-market, um, you were saying that you're going to be comparing yourself to just kind of the standard way that they've been, you know, tracking or, or, or detecting or diagnosing this. So um, what exactly is going to be happening in the nephrologist or the urologist's office? So how are they, are they going to be giving this or handing this to a patient to go home and do a diagnosis? Is it part of an education campaign where patients are finding out about it and then, then bringing it into the clinic? How exactly is this trial being, uh, is, is being set up? Being set up, being, being managed. So we haven't had the meeting yet. We're planning to have a pre-submission with the, with the FDA in September, which will provide direction and guidance. And again, when you do a pre-submission with the, with the FDA, it's really your plan. So we're, we're putting those documents together. Uh, but the way that the study will work is, yes, we're going to use nephrologists. We're going to use the sites. Um, we've got to get some urine samples. We've got patients that will come in. It's a rather very fast, efficient way to conduct a clinical trial because you're not going to have to study. You're not going to have to follow the patient. So we want, you're going to be able to get, and we will be able to get immediate results to do it. And then we'll comp compare the data. So there'll be a, a biostatistician involved. We'll do some, some coefficient variants. Um, we'll look at some variables, uh, but we'll put the data um, quickly together. And then we'll look at, you know, what we consider precision, not necessarily accuracy, uh, but we'll look at the equivalent coefficient uh, to the gold standard. We hear a lot these days around the concept of patient centricity more so than ever before, mainly because of COVID-19 and the fact that a lot of trials had to go remote, a lot of them had to be decentralized, endpoints had to be gone from more efficient to more resilient. And there are a lot more things like patient reported outcomes, patient reported experience, uh, uh, you know, modules, et cetera. So there's a lot more onus, if you will, and yours is very much the same thing, is it's a requirement of the patient to do something on their own. How involved have patients been in the development of the thinking of the market mapping and also your thinking around being a little bit more inclusionary and including more diversity so that you're having a much more robust uh, view at the data? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's really what this trial is all about. And that's what I think we're doing differently, not necessarily a result of COVID-19, but it's a, it's a result of, of where we are. 
uh, in terms of the medical community. So we are, we are all inclusive. We are diverse. We want that diverse patient population uh, because we plan to take this global. Um, and CKD affects everyone. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a progressive disease that historically has been very difficult to treat. So the need for a, a study that really looks at that population is, 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 is going to be key. But you hit on a good point that today you have to be efficient when you're managing it. It has to be done digitally. You've got to collect the data digitally. You've got to collect the documentation. You've got to be able to process that documentation. And we are planning to do it all digitally. Uh, go, going forward. So it, that's going to be a very, very criti critical component for us. And it's a beautiful thing that you're, you, you didn't have to stop halfway with people writing things on pieces of paper and then scanning it into a system. The fact that you can actually do this up front is just going to accelerate the rate at which you can get your results, which I'm sure, like, again, it's not a typical clinical study. So it, it'll be a lot quicker than, uh, than most Yep. And I was actually just curious as well, too, is when all is said and done and, and you will be successful with your 510K and you will be deemed, a, a, you know, a proper medical device, what do you sort of see or how would you envision the patient journey associated with this product? So, you know, patient shows up in doctor's office. Is that kind of the, the trajectory or is it patient reads something in the newspaper or sees an ad in, in their favorite you know, online magazine that brings them into a, into like a place that asks them some survey questions. And then, you know, this, this device is delivered to their home. So what exactly is the journey map? Yeah, the, the journey match is the journey map is a couple of things. Again, we're going to use the digital world, if you will, and the building of the digital content to pull those patients in, because think about what they're doing now. They're going physically to a lab to get a lab test. A lot of patients don't want to go to a lab. COVID-19 has said, hey, you don't want to go to a lab. So what we're going to do initially is, is the plan is to introduce what we call our first product, which is Matlock 1. And that's going to go specifically to the nephrologist. So if a patient comes in and has symptoms or the nephrologist feels they are a candidate because they're a high-risk patient, they'll order the test and they'll provide the test. The results will be given and then they'll, they'll, they'll uh, manage the patient from there. However, the goal is to have what we call Matlock 2, which is the fully integrated diagnostic device, which will be the true point of care from a standpoint that it will be, the data will be delivered to the patient's smartphone in their home. So initially we'll deliver the data to the nephrologist's smartphone, and then eventually we'll deliver that data to a patient's smartphone. So they'll have the data. Now they'll have to go to the nephrologist to get the data interpreted, but they will have the data in, in their hands. So they can take the test at home. So it'll be a true point of care. It'll be a true lab in their home so they won't have to go. So what we are doing is, is we're gonna increase the rate of testing, which will provide earlier diagnosis and slow the progression down. So that clinical value proposition starts with the patient. It starts with the ability of the patient to have the test at home. And it, it, it becomes then a true point of care. So David, just so I understand, version one is the patient the, everything remains the same, except the test is different. It, you're suggesting that perhaps it's a little bit more effective. It's a little faster. So I just want to understand that. So the patient still shows up. They don't even know what they have or don't have just through some other questioning and, and other types sort of tests. This person is a high candidate for having chronic kidney disease. I'm going to issue this test, right? So this is typically what happens already. So what I just want to understand is, are they doing the test in the office or, or are they, so what is different about them getting sent to the lab 
yep. versus what's happening with health logic. So the first one is they'll be doing in the lab because we want to we want to validate the technology with the with, with the nephrologist and we want to have access. So patient will come in, they'll do it in the office, they'll take the test. Okay, that's the first the, the okay. what we consider malagon. The second one will be the patient in the home because again, very disciplined approach. I want to take a disciplined approach. I want to make sure that we're successful. I want to make sure I validate that technology and. I'm a big believer in having multiple revenue channels because the other thing we're going to do is we're going to reach out to pharmaceutical companies. We're going to be reaching out to the insurance community to make them aware. Um, there's a lot of things we're going to be doing with that very first product besides just going to, to a, a nephrologist to have the test administered. Plus, we're going to go out to the rural communities. We're going to be able to go to areas that they've never had the test available. So 50% of this, this patient population uh, that certainly could potentially have the symptoms, they have the disease, have never been tested. That's where we want to get to. So there's yeah. this large untapped market because of accessibility. That's what we're going to target initially. The second product is going to be the fully integrated at home, smartphone, have the results done in your home and have the results. Just to separate. So I understand how it's going to work in step one, which is they still have to go to a lab, but instead of using what they were originally office. doing, they're yeah. using your test. Got it. Right. So phase two is you're saying that they're using their phone. So I just want to understand what is the test that they're doing at home? Is it a urine test? Is it something that they, you know, it, there's a th something that gets trickled in and mm -hmm. attached to their phone or how, what does that second, second phase look like? The difference is the first phase will be urine based for two specific biomarkers, right? Okay. And they'll be using their phone. The second one will have both urine and blood. That's the difference. And they'll have the smartphone app for that. So it'll be much more complete. So the ability to do a fully integrated will be on the second product and they'll be doing it at home. That's the so, difference. First product, urine-based. Second product will be urine and blood-based. But they still have to go to the lab for phase one and phase two. It's just the difference is, is phase two, they have access to their results on their phone. No, phase one, they don't even have to go to the lab. They can go to the office. They can go and have the test administered with the nephrologist at their office. Got it. The second product is no lab. The lab is at the home. Everything's done in the home. Got That's it. That's okay. the difference. Awesome. And how are they going to do their own blood? How would that work? They'll prick their thumb. They'll do their own blood test. They'll take a urine sample. We'll provide what we call the urine dropper, and then they'll be able to, to prick the blood. Totally and understand. Sorry, I'm grooving with you here now. I That's totally all right. So they don't have to go to the lab. They, can they don't do have to go to the lab. No, office. no more lab. Exactly. Yes. Okay. That's the, that's for me, the winning formula. That's it. Get it. No lab. All right. <laughs> Got so, it. so let's actually just, I mean, obviously phase one is in the immediate future, hopefully once you get your five, 10 K. So let's actually double click a little bit on the audiences and the target people that are going to help to make this work. Obviously it's a nephrologist. You want to get to as many of these key influencers, ones with large populations, you know, all, all your targets, you know, that's an obvious piece. You also mentioned the idea of payers. So at the end of the day, this ends up technically speaking, somebody has to pay for this. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about the economics of this. So what is going to be the storyline? What is going to be the sell uh, to payers and how do you want to get them involved? We're going to get them involved early on, okay? Um, you're going to get them involved because this is going to be a low cost, affordable, accessible device. And that's going to be a very attractive to payers. So it will be a simple, simple device in order to, to administer. It'll pull the patients in, which will be very attractive. Now, 
the, the next stage after always FDA approval is always the reimbursement, right? Mm-hmm. It's, is there an existing code and do you have to go get a new code? There is an existing code for the, for the lab test right now. Our belief is that initially we may be able to, to, to lock onto that, but our plan is to eventually to secure our own, our own reimbursement code dedicated to this digital procedure. That's kind of the plan. So again, Early on, early education, get the payers by and make them aware of the technology, demonstrate the, the significant cost savings and the, and the accessibility to a much wider patient population early on in the continuum of care. That's Yeah, 100%. Point. And it totally makes sense. One who may be somebody who, you know, wants to delve into all the, you know, because they're always going to be pushed back. Somebody may actually say that the traditional urine test in the lab is kind of like a generic, comparing a generic to a new branded product that's coming out that's a biologic, right? It's mm-hmm. cheap, it's tried and tested, everybody knows how to do it. Um, so, how, and then one would actually compare to your lab on a chip done in the nephrologist's office as potentially being an incremental cost. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, how do you make sense of that incremental cost in the bigger picture when you look beyond just the cost of the actual diagnostic, do you have to bring in the economics associated with, because somebody may actually say, well, not only are you incrementally costing me more because your test is more expensive than the generic you know, urine test at the lab, but you're also potentially gonna be bringing more kidney disease people into the marketplace that we have to treat. Mm-hmm. So you add all of that up and somebody who may be a naysayer or somebody who's gonna to try to push back is going to say all of this is just going to make this more expensive and who's going to pay for this. I'm sure there's a counter argument and I'd love to know how you built that. Well, we've had those discussions already, so believe me. So what we're <laughs> what we are providing is the chip will be less cost than the lab. So there won't be any additional in- incremental cost. Yes, we will be bringing more patients in, but at the end of the day when you think about the continuum of care we will save money throughout that continuum of care because we're going to be able to get these patients earlier. So they're not ending up in stage 3A, 3B, stage 4, stage 5. You eliminate, hopefully, get, you know, progressing to, to dialysis, which, again, gets very, very costly. So we've developed a very strong economic model that shows a significant cost savings through each of the stages of that continuum of care. And that's what we believe that the payers are going to be, be very excited about, very interested in. Now, having said that, you got to demonstrate that. So um, we our, our plans certainly are, are to eliminate or avoid that uh, incremental cost at all, have it less, less in the lab, but being able to, to reduce costs as you go through the entire continuum of care. And that's where it's important that you look at the disease state of CKD and what's involved in not only the diagnosing, but also the therapy at the back end. You also mentioned, we talked a little bit about the payers, and you also mentioned that the other target audience is going to be pharmaceutical, medical device companies, a lot of these big players who want to get involved. So what is going to be their potential advantage of partnering, including this as part of their armamentarium or part of their their cell? What's in it for them, uh, especially if the value proposition for your diagnostic is to exclude patients from going down the pipe through all of the therapy. So how, how do you actually paint the economics or the partnership, if you will, for, for those, uh, those therapeutic companies? Yeah, and we, we're in discussions right now with several large players uh, in the chronic kidney, kidney disease space as, as potential strategic partners. And what they're attractive in is in the data. So it's all about the data mining and the data sharing. So 
data is gold. We want to monetize that. But for a pharmaceutical company, the ability to be able to risk stratify those patients for a clinical study for mm -hmm. drug development is, is huge. It's key. It saves them time and money. Um, so it becomes part of their continuum of care as they develop their specific therapy. So pharmaceutical companies become a very, very interesting partner. Another partner is, is software companies, potentially software companies that have the data on the back end of that continuum of care and using it to manage patients, um, you know, providing the diagnosis based on the data. We're going to be able to provide a quantitative quantitative diagnosis up front, therefore makes their data much more accurate and much more precise on the back end. So there's a lot of data sharing that is going to go on. And that's really where the partnership starts to develop. Again, in terms of a medical device company, you know, potential distributorship worldwide. I mean, we've talked about that as well. So again, it's, it's that strong belief that I have that you need strategic partners, you need multiple revenue channels in order to be successful today. Very interesting. I love the concept. Again, we're in this era of real world evidence, real world data. We hear a lot about precision medicine. And this is one of those very important avenues as we start to get into diagnostics. We hear a lot about liquid biopsies, which this is kind of an example of that and making it much more accessible and easy to get and being able to utilize because pharma companies are being pressured as well too on things like um, outcomes-based, you know, so risk-based mm -hmm. outcomes and how they're paying, how payers are paying for their drugs. And if they can leverage a diagnostic like yours, let's just say, for example, they have something for, you know, cardiometabolic or diabetics, or, you know, it's associated with, with some of the things that you're doing, or even for chronic disease, you know, kidney disease, and they can actually do some early, you know, differentiation about who's more likely or what have, have you, that's a perfect use case. So with all of that said, is there, you were talking also about the software mm -hmm. and about other types of testing that's going to be added on. Obviously your initial is just saying, you know, you have it or you don't, mm -hmm. but in there, is there eventually going to be other add-ons that a pharma company, maybe there's a particular biomarker or genetic mutation or what have you that could potentially be tested through the blood uh, the blood sample in, you know, version two, or what is sort of the thinking on like a much more drug oriented biomarker? Yeah, that'd be version three or version four, because we, as I said, we want to, we want a platform. So there are other biomarkers, whether they're in urine or in blood, which are your two basics, if you will, you think about everything that's measured in your urine or blood, you can pretty much make a diagnosis for probably 80% of the disease states we have. So the ability to measure those biomarkers accurately and quantitatively on a chip is is just amazing um, has it, it it just hasn't been done so yes we want to expand the platform we want to look at other biomarkers specifically we want to be able to partner with that pharmaceutical company because what we're doing is we're reducing risk so you talk about we talked about risk analysis and trend analysis those are the things that we're going to be able to do eventually with the software and the risk stratification is going to be so key whether it's for a nephrologist, for a patient, or for a pharmaceutical company. So that software becomes very robust in terms of its capabilities and what it can do from a risk perspective, especially for a disease like, like, like chronic kidney disease. David, in the longer term, do you see your company, HealthLogic, becoming more of a data company than a hardware company? 
No, I don't think so. I, I think today everything's hybrid, right? Everything is, is hybrid. So I want to stay as I, I want to be a combination. You know, we want to be a device company and we want to be a data company. So no, I don't want to be a, a, a software or a SaaS model. Um, I want to be able to, to provide a, 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 a very quick, a very low cost, affordable device. But I want to have that data component because at the end of the day, I need you, you want the data to be able to manage that patient. You want to manage that patient experience. That's going to be so critical. So we're spending a lot of time from a software standpoint, really looking, getting patient feedback, looking at the customer experience. What are the apps going to look like? Is it going to be a dashboard? What type of trend analysis are we looking at? So there's so much we can do. We're, we're actually trying to, trying to trim it down a little bit to keep it very simple, very elegant. So I like an elegant design. I want an elegant device. I want an elegant company and I want an elegant software. Uh, package so that that is that is what 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 we want to be and that's where we're coming back again we've got to keep this focused so uh yeah which is your claim to fame so david you know data is so important and we hear a lot these days of data lakes eventually data oceans everybody wants to tap into them and be able to leverage them for a myriad of different reasons eventually population health management analytics you know ai including to be able to do predictive analytics, you know, who's going to be with certain attributes, have a higher propensity for getting this disease, and maybe eventually integration of things like genetic or genome testing, and looking at genetic variants and that sort of thing, who might be more likely to get chronic kidney disease. So what is your sense in terms of creating this data lake and enabling researchers to tap in but also creating a layer of security and privacy. What is kind of the company stance on all of that? Well, it's a data ocean, Natalie. It's not a data lake, it's a data ocean. So you've got to have, and, and, we, and we have spent time talking about the security, um, you know, beyond just the HIPAA compliance and other things else, but you've got to have the firewalls in place because you're right. If it's a data ocean, you want to protect your data. Um, so you've got to have layers of security around it in order to protect that data. And you've got you've to really decide what kind of data you want. And you're right, you know, everybody, all you have to do is put the letters AI either after your company name or after your product and everybody gets excited, right? All artificial intelligence. Well, that is a, it's, 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 it's two letters that have expanded the meaning. So um, you, you, you've got to understand the capabilities within artificial intelligence. And we're doing a lot of things, but the basis for the data going forward, I believe, are going to be in the predictive analytics, the ability to predict whether a, a patient is going to, 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 to have the symptoms or, or eventually get this disease for whatever reason. And you go back to you know, your genetic makeup. Uh, it, it, it could be diet. It could be a number of factors. Um, that's where I believe we would eventually go because then you can become the ultimate diagnostic and say, okay, within the next three years, these are the things you're going to have to do to stop the progression, eliminate the risk, right? Um, that's where I think it's going to go. And that's where that data ocean is going to help feed that predictive analytics and how we do it. That's where we're all working on, you know, what is the most efficient way to do it and yet have it accessible to a global population. Health logic, there's a lot of legs to this. And I can see your point of needing to keep really focused just to do what you do and then leave the rest for extensions or adaptations. One potential uh, addition is the whole software play, all the backend builds, people using and leveraging this. I'm thinking about a lot of other companies like wearables and other people who want to have this all-inclusive 
tech solution for patients to be able to biohack and monitor and thinking about the Apple Watch and everybody else. What is your thinking on that type of partnership? It's potential. It's, you know, the wearables is interesting because it's been flooded within the last couple of years. A lot of different type of wearables, uh, whether it's an Apple Watch or something else um, related to health fitness. So you have to be careful, be selective, be focused. And how does it tie directly into what you want to do in terms of data collection and data management? Um, I, I, I think it's a possibility, but I think, you know, you need to be careful with it. You know, um, I think in our in, in our situation, um, we may look at it. Um, but at this point, we like the fact that this is going to be point of care. It's going to be digital from a smartphone. Everything is going to be accessible on your smartphone via an app. I mean, everybody, everything is on your smartphone today, right? You, you got a diagnosis and you Google it right off the bat. So we're, we're trying to tie into that a little bit, make that an efficient method specifically for this disease state. And that's why we're tying in not only the app itself, but also the education portal. And, it, you know, and again, in the world of APIs and in the future of people tying in other people's things, the inevitability of being able to you know, cross pollinate and what's going on a different. I mean, that's always just basically the way of the future. The second opportunity I think in the future is people wanting to sort of develop a dot, you know, either a medical device or an actual chemical entity that is going to help to treat chronic kidney disease. Again, a partnership with a pharma company. Is that something that's down the pipe or that would be, you know, that has nothing to do with health logic. That would be a completely different company entity or it would be something, you know, we don't do pharma. No, no, no. That's that's some of the partnerships we're talking to now, which are early on, are pharmaceutical. So, no, that is a big part of our, our, our plan uh, because we think we can positively affect the development of drugs for this disease. So, no, we want to eventually partner with a pharmaceutical company. And, again, it, it comes into your data, your data sharing. You know, what type of data can we share? Um, again, it's it's our ability to risk stratify patients for them for trials to make an effective therapy. You mentioned earlier that chronic kidney disease is a global issue. Um, underdiagnosed, we, you know, it just is not top of mind. And, you know, there's a lot going on out there. It has a lot of ramifications downstream. What is what can this lab on a chip do beyond this? Are you just going to be focusing exclusively on kidney or is there something else in the future? There's definitely other things in the future. Um, there definitely is. We've talked about COPD. We've talked about some of the neurological diseases, anything related from uh, you know brain stimulation to brain neuromodulation to diseases like ALS. And, you know, there's a lot of research going on right now. A lot of, a lot of drug uh, discovery, a lot of drug direction in that area. So we feel we can certainly help help in those areas. You know, our lab on chip can potentially measure biomarkers in those specific areas. Uh, so we feel we want to be an enabler. We want to help. We want to support the development, uh, not only of our diagnostic, but but of therapies built around the, these other areas. And, and neuro, from even from an investment standpoint, has become very, very attractive. There's a tremendous need there. So we want to go where there's a large need. Uh, we want to go where there's a global need and we want to go where we can provide a very low cost accessible solution. That's really our mission at the end of the day. There's going to be a lot of research in the next several years on getting away from actual hardware. So th stuff, things, wearables, things that are mm -hmm. clinging onto the body or sensors and other sorts of chips and looking at something that's kind of built, if you will, into something that you carry, which is the phone. 
and being able to have like modular, uh, you know, additions or um, add-ons, if you will. So it's done straight from the phone. Um, is this something that you see as maybe being down the road on research or, you know, kind of a complete replacement of just the, the actual chipset or whatever it is that the patient actually has to pinprick or their urine and, and have it integrated, for example, on their mm -hmm. phone? Yeah, eventually, eventually. Yeah, absolutely. You can eliminate the chip, you can mitigate the handling device and everything is on, on your phone. So can you insert the chip into your phone? You know, would you be able to do that? It'll be interesting to see how the FDA looks at that. Again, the FDA is starting to look at software as, as a medical device. Um, it's gonna be very interesting and we'll, we'll, we'll all follow the guidance of the FDA, but these are gonna be some of the challenges and hurdles that they're gonna look at because the things you're talking about are haven't been done before, but can we move in that direction? Really have a truly modular setup where yes, you eliminate some of the, some of the devices and you go to that. I think we're a ways away I still think there's tremendous value in what the medical devices are, are doing. There's tremendous amount of value in the devices for specific procedures. And these procedures are tied to, to, to some very, very unmet large disease states that are very, for the very first time, like we're doing with CKD, are finally being looked at and met. You uh, mentioned earlier that you're hiring social media experts, uh, you know, various people in, in marketing and sales. In some ways, trying to target the entire population sometimes could feel like trying to boil the ocean. What would be the target strategy and the sales strategy of bringing the right targeted qualified individuals to their nephrologists to get these kinds of tests? Well, you want to focus on your, your high risk patients. So the diabetics, your high blood pressure, those are the type of patients. So we'll take a very targeted approach initially and think about diabetics are conditioned now to either doing the tests at home and they're used to point of care. So it's a perfect population for us and a tremendous need from that standpoint. And then you'll, you'll expand to the rural communities to the areas that, that just haven't been addressed. So there, there's a large patient population. Again, we want to start initially in the U.S., we'll start Canada, Europe, and then we'll start to expand. But very quickly, we want to be global because we see a tremendous need in some of the other countries that just don't have the capability to get this test done. There's been a lot of geopolitical changes in the last year, uh, all kinds of issues, social, you know, social unrest and economic upheaval. With all of that said, there's always a silver lining. I'm curious, just as your last words, David, what are you most excited about in the future? Well, just the technology, just the advancement of technology and the focus on these unmet disease states, if you will. I think the companies, not only us, but larger companies are looking at the disease state and they're looking at it from a global perspective being race agnostic, looking at the entire population and saying, we've got a tremendous opportunity here to really serve that population, that disease state. So I, I look at us as kind of servers. We're in a servant leadership role, if you will. So we want to provide a solution for a very large need, but we want to do it economically. And not only do we want to do it clinically, but we want to have a very strong economic value proposition as well. So I, I, I think you've got a tremendous opportunity. But again, we go back to what I said, focus, discipline, perseverance. So I, I will, you know, that's, that's going to be the mantra to, to be successful, I think, going forward. I love it. Great way to end this. Um, for anybody who is interested in connecting with David, there is all kinds of cool things that they're doing at Health Logic Interactive. If you're a pharma company, medical device company, if you're a researcher, he would love to hear from you. Please look for his contact details in the show notes below. If you enjoyed this conversation, we also encourage you to check out impetusdigital.com right here. 
And if you want to be able to get payers, patients, physicians, allied healthcare providers around a virtual table through a series of online touch points, so you can do discovery, you can actually work with people like David to figure out how can we incorporate one of these diagnostics into our plan? How do we push forward new agenda items, policies, reimbursement? This is exactly what we do at Impetus. We help you with the content, the project management and getting this work developed. So please check that out. We would love if you could like and subscribe to our channel. And we'd also really appreciate if you can leave us a review on iTunes. I wanna thank everybody for their time today. David, this was an outstanding conversation. We wish you all the best of luck with Health Logic Interactive and wishing everybody a wonderful day ahead. Thank you for listening to this Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Impetus Digital are the business-to-business -business virtual engagement experts and provide immersive virtual collaboration and communication solutions for advisory boards, medical education meetings, events, conferences, and projects worldwide, all delivered with our award-winning white glove service. Visit us at impetusdigital.com or book a demo at meetwithimpetus.com to find out more and visit us on our LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube channel to see other inspiring conversations for you to share with your network.